You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Who here is thankful for our Cactus Crew team? Awesome, awesome. You know, I, I was thinking about this today, and, you know, I, I see so much about next generations and a generation to come, and what are they going to be like, you know. Uh, and, and I think there's this thing where we need to understand this, these young kids, they will be the future generation. Like this, these kids in kids' ministry, they will be the future. The question is not whether or not they will be the future. The question is whether the gospel will be their future. That's the question. The question is not whether these kids will be future leaders, teachers, politicians, business owners. The question is, will the gospel enrich their life? Will they know how deeply Jesus loves them? And will there be people who understood the importance of self-sacrifice for the next generation? And I think that that's really the question we have. So I want to encourage you that it is very, very important work. And if you're the kind of person that can serve faithfully and you're enriched by, you know, immediate fruit because kids are amazing. Amazing, and they say nice things, and you see their life change. But also, if you can get in your mind that we have a call to love on the next generation, I think that's really important. So uh, we have, I think last week we had 25 kids in kids ministry, and um, we need people that care about uh, the future. Uh, you're like, I'm not good with kids. I mean, sure you are. <laughs> are you decently nice? Yes. Okay, good. You're in. <laughs> it's like, you, you can do it, trust me. Um, but I encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, excited to share with you today. I My daughter went back to school this week, which has been, um, by back, I mean, she sits in her room now and, you know, does it on her computer and then periodically gets up. By periodically, I mean every 15 minutes, gets up and asks her mom for a snack. And uh, I, I have never felt more for our teachers than in this moment of time. I feel like a lot of them are wrestling through what's a good option, what's the better option, what's a bad option, all this kind of stuff. But I will say, because we have so many great teachers at our school, I really wanted to just take the beginning of this sermon and pray for you teachers because we love you, we value you, and I know that there's a lot kind of unique stuff on your plate right now. And so I want to pray for you. Would you join me in praying with our teachers? If you're online and you're a teacher, we want to pray for you as well. But God, I thank you for these educators of our children. God, I thank you for the unique part that they play. I thank you for those that deeply love the Lord and work every day to impart the truth of the gospel and uh, through their love to these kids in their classroom. And so I pray, God, would you strengthen them? I pray, would you encourage them? I pray, would you renew them? God, I pray, would you cut out the, the voices that are um, coming against them? Or would you just speak truth and life into them and encourage them, God? And we know that this is a season. And so, God, I pray in this season that there are beautiful things you can still teach and, and learn and grow us. So may we learn and grow. And God, I pray as we come out of this season that we would just constantly remind our teachers that we love them deeply. We pray you would protect them protect their health, protect their physical health, protect their emotional health, protect their mental health. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys have noticed it's been a little hot recently? Oh my gosh. Uh, how many of you are just like, you love heat, so you're fine right now? Okay, it's, it's like a very small few. How many of you are like, I can't wait till January? That's, that's me. <laughs> How many of you, you were fine until the AC broke in your car, and now you could kind of take it or leave it? Amen. That's a lot of us. Amen. That's us. That's my wife <laughs> uh, this week as well. Uh, this is the time where they make all the money. You know, it's interesting. I was, uh, I was up fishing uh, really early in the morning, because that's what you have to do here, um, or else you're basically just catching fried fish. And uh, when, uh, I don't know if we have any fishers. Any of you guys like to fish? If you ever want to go fishing, let me know. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy you know, kind of this combination of being in nature and being far from people sometimes. Uh, but uh, I, I love this idea of, like, getting away, going in nature. But I like to go with people because I'm not, like, a big, like, be super alone by myself person. So let me know. Uh, but I was fishing, and... I came to the spot in the river, and I was trying to be really sneaky, and I'd never been here before, and I stepped down in, and when I stepped down in, into all these reeds and, and, uh, and bushes, I, I stepped into what's called the hatch, and it sounds exactly like it sounds. It's a hatch of bugs, and so when I stepped down, like a million, you know, like, uh, like legion, like, like a million mosquitoes flew up into the air and just began to swarm me, and I was like immediately like, nope, and so I went to go. But my fly pole is nine feet long. And, like, I'm not really built also for, like, the sleekest getaways. So 
there's a lot of mass happening, and I got stuck up on this tree, and I'm trying to get out, and I, like, look on my shirt, and I can see them landing. And as they're landing, I can see them, like, swelling up and then flying away, like, ha-ha, sucker. They're just, like, swelling up and flying away. My wife can attest, I would just have big patches on my back of, like, 12 mosquito bites in one area. Uh, and so all this is happening, and I'm, like, sweating because it's hot. And I get, I get out, and I just start, like, running down uh, this, like, riverbed, but it's, like, rocks. So you know how, like, when you're running in sand and loose rocks, you can't do full steps? It's kind of like this, like, half step. So I'm, like, running as fast as I can. I get down to the river. And I'm just sweating for profusely. And the first thing I thought is like, man, I cannot wait until it's fall. Like, I love Arizona, but I cannot wait until uh, this season of heat is over. And I feel like I have never identified more in a season than I can't wait for this season to be over. I don't know if you guys are there with me. Like, I can't wait. You know what? Let's just go to January. Let's just go all the way to January. Let's at least go to November 4th. Like, let's just go all the way. Some of you are like, what date is that? Well, <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> well, all the way into the fall. But I, I really have stepped back this week, and as much as I long for the cool weather, as much as I long uh, for jeans to be justified, as much as I long for cooler rivers for trout, as much as I long for people to come back and be in the community of church more fully, uh, I really still feel like God has a message today. And so, so much of what I see in posts online is like, can we just skip to 2021? 20, can we get over this? Can we be past this? But I do really want to say there really is a message for today for you. And I really believe like you're not here by accident. You're not watching a line by accident. And I really feel like God wants to speak something in your life. So as much as your heart might yearn for 2021, might yearn to go in the next season, as much as you can be, be right here in this moment and hear what God has to say. Amen? Okay, I want to pray for you, then we're going to start. Lord God, I thank you for your word, and I pray as we go through your word that you would speak truth into our life. So we yield this sermon, this time, this message, our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would lead us in your name. Amen. We are almost done with our Real Love for Real Life series. What's crazy is we started this series right after uh, the riots basically kicked off, and it was a 10-week series, and we're almost done. That shows you how much time has passed. <laughs> like, 10 weeks goes fast, right? Like, the, the uh, days are long, but the years are short, they say. Uh, but we're almost done. But we've been talking about how do we live in a world that needs real love. Do you guys know that song, What the World Needs Now? What the world needs now. Come on, someone. Is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that just the pastor singing. Great, awesome. You know, I know in my heart someone online joined me. Thank you, guys. Um, uh, but that uh, that song came on recently, and I was I was reflecting on that. That really, you know, we go on that. The world needs love. There's all these slogans for love now. Uh, all these movements, hashtags, uh, lots of posters everywhere you go. There's protests. There's things that are talking about love. There's been love movements. There's all these ideas on love. And what I find fascinating is that love is the thing we talk about so often as a culture, and yet I think we just really struggle to understand it. Probably no word we see on more t-shirts. I go into like Forever 21, one of like the young, younger people shops of clothes. I said that like I was 65 years old. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and it's like love, and there's like, you know, like a sunshine, or you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Just the idea is everywhere, and I think we struggle to understand the idea of love. What is love? And, and I think we, we can kind of get where it's been co-opted or added to or been used, but I think when it, how do we understand what is real, true love? Even saying true love is kind of a weird thing to say now, because true love has kind of been adopted uh, by all kinds of things, apps, shows. Uh, how many of you guys have ever seen The Bachelor? You know The Bachelor? Any bat, like just unashamed, like you don't even care. You're like, like I don't care what you say about it. I'm a Bachelor fan and I will own it. Just own it right now. There we go. I love you guys. Um, I had never seen The Bachelor until I moved to Arizona. And uh, we had some 20-somethings uh, that were living with us, some young gals. And they would come over and they would watch The Bachelor. I don't know if I give you this vibe, but I've it's not really my scene. I'm not its target audience. Uh, and so I thought it was pretty weird, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but I couldn't help but watch it. 
I, I honestly, I understand why people watch it because it's like a train and a train hitting another train that's already on top of a train in a train yard. Like that is how much of a train wreck it is. And it's like, but the thing that blew my mind is we're watching it. You know, I started out just like, what is this? And I ended up just like eating popcorn. Like, what is happening? Get her, Tiffany, get her. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't let Brittany take your man or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, no, I can't stand the show. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, what blew my mind is how often they would say things like, I just feel like I'm falling in love with him. I'm like, really? <laughs> I just, I want to have like a one-on-one like, listen, what is it? Braidlin? Listen, Braidlin. I, I don't think you love him after four weeks. I mean, the, I know the other 32 girls do, but how can you love him? It's like, I just think I love him. It's like, I just think he's rich and good looking. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it, I, I think we've so taken this idea, you know, they get in this process. I don't know if you've seen this show, but I'll summarize it. It's like everyone's waiting for when the one girl jumps the gun and tells this dude who's making out with 28 other girls, like tells him that she deeply loves him as they're jet skiing around the Bahamas, right? And so, like, they're waiting in this moment. She's like, I just feel like I love you. And then all the girls in my house are, like, angry because she told him too early or I don't know how it works. But what I've learned from this experience and watching The Bachelor is A, I pray to God my daughter is never on that show because I don't want her getting sloppy 25ths. B, B, <laughs> was that, you can't say that? All right, well. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> Please don't leave the church. B, more importantly, i move on from that moment, is that we are very confused on what it means to love somebody. And to feel the feeling of love. And that show, it happens to be affection or obsession or ratings or passion or lust. Now, affection is attached to love. That's a great feeling. It's okay to be obsessed with somebody you love, to really love them. It's okay to feel feelings towards them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as a culture that we struggle to understand not only how to be loved, but how to give love because we have this like big library of videos and songs and music and attitudes that express this is love, this is love, this is not love, this is love. And so we kind of come into all understanding of love with a huge bias. Some of us, we come in to this understanding of love with a huge bias and brokenness because what was told to us that was love was actually not love, it was actually abuse. And so because we come in with hurt and pain from those who should love us, we struggle to understand love. And what the problem we're having, I think, as a culture is that we only show the love we know, and if we don't understand love, it's really hard to show love. Let me give you a little phrase to put down, we're going to touch on it today, is we show the love we know. We show the love we know. What we believe about love is expressed on how we receive love, how we accept love, and how we give love to others. That speaks volumes. How we feel like we can be loved and allow ourselves to be loved and feel like the love we receive, that, that speaks to what we believe about love. But what also speaks to what we believe about love is how we love other people, who we choose to love, how we love them. It speaks to what we believe about love. Because Love is something that outpours of an infilling. Whatever is in our heart will outpour into others. They're not separate. They're not different things. How we treat others, how we treat ourselves, they, they are linked in our understanding of love. But what's amazing is that as we encounter and begin to understand the love of God, I believe that it not only transforms how we understand love for ourselves and accept and receive love, but it transforms the way we love others. When God's love is present in our life, when we understand it, not only do we understand better just the idea of love as he gives it, but we understand more clearly how to love other people. And so when we say what the world needs now is love, sweet love, it's the only thing, right, that there is so little of. You guys remember singing that with me? No, of course not. Uh, <laughs> the reason that we need so much of that is not only that we need to give more of it, but we need to understand it better. And so I say all this to say John is writing in 1 John chapter 4 to a group of people that though they would not have had The Bachelor, 
though they, you know, maybe mildly had theater. They would have had cultural influences because the world has always been the world and people have been always been people. They would have had influences that would have spoken to how they understood love. They would have had to be, they would have had to overcome maybe people who have taken advantage of their love. They would have had to deal with maybe preconceived biases of love or hurts or bad examples. They would have, they'd be in the same spot as you. So don't think of a great sense of otherness between you and who John is writing to, but understand that when Scripture is being written here and, and it's being God-breathed here, as John is writing, he's writing not only to that church, but to us as we understand it today. Are you still with me? Amen. Okay. Let's go, if you would, with me to 1 John chapter 4. We've been in 1 John for seven, six or seven weeks, seven weeks now. We're still there. It's right before 2 John. It says this, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's an interesting thing. If you like to underline in your Bible, it's okay. Uh, I, I like to underline my Bible as well to highlight things. Uh, I would highlight that. God is love. What an interesting phrase. God is love. What does that mean? It means God is not an abstract thought or concept. God is alive. God is real. And therefore, God has a nature and a character. And so part of his nature and his character is that he is love. John also states that God is spirit. John also states that God is light. So love is not the only thing that God is, importantly, but God is love. We can't, every time we talk about a part of God's nature, cover every part of God's nature, because that would take forever, and we only have 40 minutes. But God is love. Importantly, the fact that he is love and that it is his nature means it's expressed clearly through him and what he does and who he is. But so is truth and light and all these other things. But probably most crucially is that that phrase is not flipped. So often we flip that phrase and we say love is God. Culture has kind of flipped that phrase a little bit. Philosophers and thinkers have tried to flip that and said that the origin of God is out of this idea of love, that man creates God out of love, that God is created out of this abstract concept of love, that love is something, therefore, to be worshipped. Love is this thing that we, like, bow down to the altar of love, and love is everything, and love is all things, but that's not true. Love has its origin in God. God is the constant. God is the supreme total and complete, sovereign, mighty, and majestic power, and love has its origin in him. But if we flip love as God, we begin to worship love when we're called to worship God. Very important. A lot of, uh, let's say, New Age or New Age understandings would worship the idea of love and hope then, therefore, to better understand a God or godly figure. But God is love. And by love, I don't mean just like, you know, squishy niceness takes you out to a really nice dinner and you hope you get a rose after. I'm talking like God's love is powerful, merciful, life-changing. God's love is strong. God's love is gentle. God's love is many, many, many things enduring. It is selfless. It, it's, it's amazing. So when you're saying God is love, it's saying this idea that God and his nature and his character are all things that love is. That's what he's going to go on to explain. But that's kind of the foundation. That foundation is important because if you think love is God, then you think you have to, like, earn it, prove it, like, prove that you're worth it, these kind of things. It's, like, works-based. But it's not works-based. The foundation is that God is love, and here's what he's going to do with that character in nature. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son, meaning Jesus Christ, into the world so that we, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice, to, be the, uh, to pay the debt for our sins. That's what that word propitiation means. This is important. Not only God is love, but Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. Now, immediately I have to preface this word manifestation because culturally we have taken this word manifestation and shifted it to mean um, that I will envision something and therefore make it true. Um, you might have seen this like uh, manifest uh, something in your life by speaking it enough, right? So you get your vision board, and if you get your vision board, then you put the things on there. And I'm not knocking these things. I'm just showing you the difference. 
You put your things on there. You put, like, your hopes and your dreams, and then you manifest that through good thoughts. You're manifesting it. You're making it, uh, you're making it physical and tangible by the nature of your thoughts. That's not what God's saying here. Very important. Jesus, from the beginning, is God. God did not go, oh, man, I need to die for the sins. You know what I should do? I take some of this dirt. I'm going to make a Jesus. But he looks good. He's got this long hair. He's going to be really good at wood making. And then I'm going to send him to the earth. He's my son. That's not how it worked. From the beginning, we have the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all God. That's really complex. Yes, God's complex. Praise him for that because it'd be kind of lame if you had a God that was not powerful <laughs> and like and awesome and expansive. It's like, well, I can really condense him down in this small box. I'm like, well, then you might have made him up. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Really interesting, really complex. There's a lot there. We can't stop, but I just say this to say that from the beginning, Jesus, part of the Trinity, the triune God, is God, is the Son of God, was at creation, part of creation, saw us was there. He, he's, he wasn't just created for this purpose. So God didn't just manifest him, but as a supernatural, as being God, he came to earth, and that word manifestation means that the word became flesh, that God became with us as man, fully God, fully man. So when I say Jesus is the manifestation of God's love, what I mean is that this is how we know the love of God, that God loved us so much that he sent of himself to us to die. Romans 5, 6 or 8 says this, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10 says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. He reconciled us. What I love is that God does not just send some prophet. He doesn't send just Elijah. He doesn't send just a good teacher, even though Jesus was a great teacher. He doesn't send an example. Though Jesus is a great example, he sends his son to die for those who are in complete rebellion to him because of sin. Think on this, because it's so important to understanding his love. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, if there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. The offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor man should ask of him who distributes alms, but, the, but herein is love that God sent. He was the first to send an embassy of peace. Goes on to say, But who among us would think of giving up his son to die for his enemy? For one who never did him a service, but treated him ungratefully, repulsed a thousand overtures of tenderness, and went on perversely hardening his neck. No man can do it. I'm telling you, as someone who has a son, if I had an enemy that we were fighting, my first option would not be send my little son to die for them. That would be crazy. A, it wouldn't do anything. But I, but I think of the mind of a father that surrendered for those. See, though we were enemies through sin, we have always been children of God. Our identity is not enemies of God, but because of sin, because sin creates a separation between a perfect God and us, because sin is rebellion against a perfect and loving God and the relationship. That's why I love God is that for some reason we've gotten this rap that Christianity is all about being forced into something. And I say, no, it's about a choice because we chose to live in rebellion to God and he constantly wants us to choose that relationship, but he will never force us to choose that relationship no matter what, no matter what we do. He will always desire us and longs for us to choose it ourselves out of free will and relationship. So he sends his son to bring us into that relationship. But he says that while we were still enemies, this is the important part, he loved first. If you need like a little personal mantra to tell yourself over and over, if you're struggling to understand the love of God, how about this? He loved first. He loved me first. Before I loved him, he loved me. Before I proved that I was worth loving, before I earned anything, before I was a good person, before I was even born, he loved 
me. Think about that. It's one thing to send your son to die for some good people. It's another thing to send him to die for people before they even can make the choice to love or to care about you. That means you expect nothing except the betterment for those who you intend to die for, for the relationship and the love and the goodness and the wholeness. I say this is important because we need to understand the love of God that has been manifest for us. The undeserved, freely given, paid our debt, brought us to new life kind of love. This is the love of God. This is when I say love, this is what I mean. 1 John 4, 15 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Whew. Somebody do me a favor. Can someone turn down that AC unit back there? Anybody else warm? I'm like suffering up here. This is important. John, 1 John 4, 15, what he's saying is that we know the love of God through Jesus Christ. It says, we have this beautiful moment where we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. I said at the beginning, we show the love that we know. But in order to show it, you have to know it. Right? How do we know the love that God has for us? It's because Jesus is the example of his love. Jesus didn't just show us how to love. Jesus is literally, physically, he is the embodiment of God's love. He is the greatest example of God's love. And it says, verse 16, we know and believe in this love, the love that was displayed in Christ. See, what's awesome, it says his love abides in us, and so his love is perfected in us. Do you ever read a book, a word in the Bible, and you're like, What? I think if you read the word perfect in the Bible, you should step back and be like, okay, what is he saying here when he says perfect? Because if the answer is like, I'm going to make you perfect, it's like, well, man, you might as well move down the line. Because <laughs> you're barking up the wrong tree. But that's, that's not, in the sense as we understand perfect, we mean perfect as in without fault. But God knows that we will make we will make mistakes. So God is not saying, I will alter the fact that you're a human being. He's saying that my love will be perfected in you. That word perfect, as it would mean constantly in Scripture, means to be made complete or bring to a sense of wholeness. So, but my love will be completed as it is within you and you abide within it. Are you hearing me? This is important. That God's love is made complete in you. The work that God came to do is complete as you build relationship with God. See, the purpose of God's love was to return you to unity with God. It's not just so you come to church. It's not just so you go in a small group. It's not just so you're part of a system or a structure. It's because God, from the beginning, has longed for a relationship with you, and sin and our rebellion and sin has stolen that relationship. And so when God sends his son to die for us, he's fulfilling a promise that he gave to Abraham. It says, listen, I don't want my children to live in rebellion to sin. I want them to live with me. I want them to be in relationship with me. I want them to have the fullness of life in me. So he sends Jesus Christ as the ultimate symbol of his love. Why? So that his love could be made complete within you. What does that mean? It means he wants to have a relationship with you. Like, really? Yes. He longs to be in a relationship. You're like, have you met me? Yeah, I've met most of you. He still longs to have a relationship with you. You're online. Like, I just found this YouTube. I don't know what I'm looking at. Trust me, it doesn't matter. God longs to have a relationship with you. See, sin's separated, but the sacrifice brings us into the love. He's perfecting us. He's leading us to be more like Christ. He's perfecting that love within us. We are not perfect, but the love of God is bringing us into unity. That's why it says 1 John 4, 17. We're going to read this together. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Okay, that's a big phrase. We'll come back. But as he is also, so are we in the world. It says there is no fear in love. Someone say fear. Oh, but perfect love casts out fear. Someone say fear like you care. Fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is, this is amazing. 
I, I wish that I could spend like a whole time just on this phrase. Charles Spurgeon wrote eight sermons on just this sentence. Uh, I don't have that kind of clout, but uh, <laughs> it's amazing. But I think it's important because Christ's love has been completed by freeing us from sin and uniting us with Christ. We have a confidence when we stand before him. It says the end of days and the judgment of the earth. When God judges the world, he's not going to see our sins because they're covered by the blood of Jesus. That's powerful. See, some of you, you went to youth group and you got some bad theology, so I'm going to fix it today. Some of you went to youth group and you got this theology like because you read about how, you know, they stand in account for the deeds and yada, yada, yada. I've, uh, th this is no joke. I just had somebody after first service tell me, yes, I heard that in youth ministry too. They, there's this thing where they're like, yeah, well, at the end, you know, there's going to be like a projector that shows all of your sins and God's going to recount all of your sins. Have, has anyone heard this? Okay, some of you are nodding. You know what I'm talking about. We have this idea of God that I feel like is taught to kind of like scare kids not having sex in high school. And it's like, uh, that at the end, God's going to like project like all these sins. going to show you all your sins. And you're going to be in heaven just hoping Nana's not behind you. Like, I'm so sorry, Nana. I didn't think they'd pull up my browser history from middle school. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, cover your eyes, Right? We feel this way. We feel like when you get to heaven, God's going to judge you. He's going to be like, man, what did you do? I gave you, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. But can I tell you, that's literally impossible. Now, conviction is from God. God can also bring judgment. But shame is not from God. If heaven is perfect and God is perfect, then why would we assume in heaven with God? Remember, no imperfection, no sin can come near him. That's why Jesus had to die for us so that we could be in relationship and near God. He had to die for us to cover our sins by his blood, to pay for our sins so that we could enter in relationship. So why would we assume then when I get to heaven that God in a perfect place where there can be no sin and a God who cannot sin would shame me, which is sin? Because we're afraid of God. Because, I mean, there's healthy fear and reverence of God, but we live thinking that God will act like many of your fathers or mothers or examples or fearful parents or aunts and uncles taught you that love was built on and that it was built on fear. That God's going to, like, embarrass you in front of Gabriel. That God is somehow really not, I mean, I know Pastor Josh is saying that God loves me and accepts me. When I get to heaven, like, him and I are going to have a talk, and he's going to really let me know how he thinks about me and what I did and the things I struggle with and my addictions and my, and my battle. I, I know that God's just, he's, he's going to be so disappointed in me. And so we live in fear of God. But can I tell you that that's missing it? But, but what I'm here to tell you today is that what we believe about God's love will affect how we receive his love. This is why it's so important that we break away the lies of this false theology, the lies of this false identity, that you're going to be like shamed and embarrassed in heaven in front of anybody, and that God's sitting up there just like constantly disappointed in the fact that you haven't led a small group yet, or that like you don't sing on worship team, or that like, you know, you didn't read your Bible four times this week, and God's like, oh my gosh, like, well, if I would have known, I would have never sent my son for, for them. <laughs> like, we live with this sense of fear and that, that forms us because what we believe about God's love will affect how we receive his love. Because we show the love we know. It's, a, it's important to understand this. If we believe that God's love has to be earned, we're going to be afraid at the end. Because we can't earn it. So we're going to get to judgment and, and, and feel afraid apparently because we think we still have to earn it and prove like, yeah, no, I know God, I, I know I did, I know I did 8,000 sins, but I did 8,000 to one good thing, so I get on the nice list, and I get into heaven, like, oh, maybe it's like a lesser heaven, or, you know, we, we've come up with all kinds of crazy theology throughout the years to explain away a very simple truth, which is God loves you, and God has come for you, that he might be near you, that he might embrace you, that he might welcome you in. If you think that God is an angry God, that you're just a sinner in the hand of an angry God, then you're going to be afraid because that's not his love. That's not who he is. If you think that his love is conditional, then you're going to be afraid. But that's why we look at Jesus. We say, no, 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 this is God's love for me. The endless riches of his love. I can know and believe. I have a confidence because I know Jesus Christ, and I know how he loves 
1 John 4, 19. One of my favorite verses. If you're new to memorizing scripture, this should be your one. Ready? We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. I love that. We love why? Because he first loved us. He loved first. See, human love can often live with this fear that it won't be returned. That's why when intimacy and trust get violated, it is so traumatic. But oftentimes, I think we live with this fear when it comes to God. If I do blank, I cannot be loved. Because I have done fill in the blank, I cannot be loved. Because I am this kind of person, fill in the blank, I cannot be loved by God. Spurgeon said, I'm going to read him again. He said, never let it be thought that any sinner is beyond the reach of divine mercy so long as he is in the land of the living. He said, I stand here to preach illimitable love, unbounded grace to the vilest of vile, to those who have nothing in them that can deserve consideration from God, men who ought to be swept into the bottomless pit at once if justice justice meted out to them their deserts. See, what's amazing is Christ, there is, in Christ there is no fear of not receiving love. There is always a confidence and love that comes from him. It doesn't matter if culture would say you're the best of the best or the worst of the worst. It doesn't matter if you are in the highest elevated place in our culture or the lowest. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your past struggles or your addictions or your failures or your fears. God loves you. He loves you the same. He loves you forever. He loves you immeasurably. He loves you. He cares about you. And how we know that is that he sent his son first to prove that he loves you. See, if he had sent his son after we proved it, then it would seem conditional on our actions. But he sent his son first to say, stop trying to earn my love and just accept it. Some of you need to hear that today. Stop trying to earn God's love. Stop trying to earn his love for you. We love because he first loved us. We don't have to prison break God's love out. He has given it to us. He has sent it to us. The question is, will I believe that it is for me and receive it? What we believe about God's love will affect how we receive his love. John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Not only will it affect how we receive his love, but what we believe about God's love will affect how we love others. When we love others, it shows that we understand the love we've been given. Listen to this, 1 John 4, 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment which we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Our response to an overwhelming love of God is to love one another. We show the love we know. And if you do not show love, it says you do not really know the love you're meant to know. And that's not to harsh anyone or be mean to you today, but just to say there's an opportunity to discover a deep and rich love for your life because we're not only meant to know love, but to show love. And the natural response to the affection and the love that we see from God is to show love to other people. Like I've heard it said, show me love that does not produce love, and I'll show you fire that does not produce heat. If you love God and understand that love, it should produce within you a love from God. He says, this is the commandment we have from him. Is it really a commandment? That's a strong word. Matthew 22, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. I've heard a lot of messages. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is your neighbor. He wasn't being, like, obscure. He's saying the people who live near you. Hey, what if I don't like them? Don't you mean, like, my neighbor in the church? Like, no, I mean, like, literally your neighbor. <laughs> the person who lives next door to you. <laughs> That's what he meant. That's why they translated it neighbor. It wasn't written in English. They chose that, that word. It's your neighbor. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the love of God that should overflow into a love of others. I'm going to invite the band up this morning.
One of my favorite examples of this, it's so exemplary, is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. I love this. I love it because it would have been so culturally taboo. Like, for Jesus to do this, when people followed a rabbi, it was their life goal to serve that person. Like, when you followed a rabbi, you would dress like them. You'd have your hair like them. Like, you really followed them. And your goal was to do not kind of the things that they might have done. To do literally what they do. You'd go to the places they would go. You'd do the things. You would serve them. You would carry their stuff. So Jesus was constantly messing with his disciples because they're supposed to, like, carry his bags. And then Jesus was, like, a mile ahead carrying his bags, talking to some prostitute. And they're like, well, you can't do this. And he's like, this is what I do because I'm awesome. And so in this moment, that it would have been so, in the system he lived in, it would have been so degrading uh, to have your rabbi wash your feet. Like, you would have really messed up as a disciple if you let your rabbi do this. You would have, you would have failed. But he gets down and he washes his disciples' feet in this powerful example of love and care. And he says in John 13, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? To which, of course, their answer is no. Because he was constantly doing things they had no idea. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He says, what I have done for you, do for others. Are you with me? Are you here? Everybody, you're here. Okay, good. Everyone's awake. You're with me. I know it's warm, but I need you to, I need you to hear me. This is important. He doesn't say, do like. He says, what I do for you, do for others. What did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. This is important because 11 of them make it and one of them doesn't, but he still washes their feet. Think about this. Jesus washed Judas's feet. That's the kind of love he's talking about. Jesus washed the feet of the guy he knew in that moment was going to betray him to be brutally murdered. Can you imagine that? Not only is he doing something really servant-like and, and almost degrading, but he's doing it for somebody who is literally his enemy. He doesn't say, love the people who are nice to you and then get your guns and fight the people who are mean to you. He says, love your enemies. Think about this. When was the last time you washed the feet of the Judas in your life? As I have done, you ought to do. What do I do? I wash the feet of the Judas. Who is the Judas? Your enemy. When was the last time you deeply and humbly served your enemy? Don't worry. Every question I'm asking you now, I have deeply asked myself this week. So we are in a mutual wrestling in this moment. Jesus says, love your enemies. You've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute. Is that really possible? Can we really love our enemies? Yes. It's possible when you understand the love you've received. If you understand the love that you've been given was regardless, regardless of your sin and your brokenness and your mistakes, then you understand that we're called to give love to others regardless of their brokenness and their mistakes. We're called to love. Like, let's think practically. Has anyone been offended recently? You've been offended recently? Hey, how do I live like Jesus? Seek reconciliation. Say, but yeah, I'm the one offended. So was Jesus. While we were still sinners, he reconciled us to himself. Has anyone been insulted, maybe hurt, maybe disappointed? Recently, someone's done something you've been, been kind of bitter about. You've been hurt. You've been frustrated. Not even kind of bitter. Like they were just straight up wrong, evil, mean, broken. They said something to you they shouldn't. They did something to you they shouldn't. Seek reconciliation. You're like, yeah, but I was the one that was hurt. So was Jesus. I was the one who was insulted. So was Jesus. I was the one who was beaten on, who was put down, who my character was attacked. So was Jesus. So was Jesus. 
And he gives us this example to say his love is powerful than the more powerful than the offenses of the world. And it is through Christ that reconciliation is possible in the most broken, in the most isolated, in the most destroyed, in the most run over, in the most torn down relationships and people. There is no one who is too far for the love of God. There is no one who is too far gone. There is no decision that is too far past. There is no one who is outside of the capability of his love. Literally, if you're watching online, I, I don't care where you are. You could be watching from prison. You are not exempt from the love of God because of a sentence, because of an addiction, because of a past mistake. And so as those who have received that kind of love, we are also called to give it. It is part of receiving is understanding that it should flow out of us. Hear this. Write it down if you need to. The greatest evidence of God's presence and his work is his love. Now God is powerful. But the greatest evidence of his presence is not just his power. Because if we look at Jesus, there was times where Jesus was weeping and felt, felt weak under the weight of the world that was coming. He was always powerful, but there's moments where it, the power wasn't the thing that was expressing to the world the presence of God, though he was always powerful. It's not popularity. Though there were moments where Jesus was very popular and Jesus was always deeply loved by the people around him. But it is his love. Jesus was the constant example and reminder of God's love. We keep saying things like, we got to get God back into the schools. How do you get God back into the schools if you really want that? You get his love into the schools. Well, I need, we need God in this country. Then great, how do you get him into the country? You get his love into the country. We need him in office. We need him in politics. We need him in uh, councilmen. We need him in our city. We need him in our homes. How do you do it? You get the love of God. When we begin to let the love of God that is present within us flow out and love others and affect others, then we will see and confirm the presence and working of an almighty God. The greatest evidence of God's presence and work in your life is the love of God. The greatest evidence of God's presence and work in your home is the love of God. The greatest evidence of God's presence and work in this city is the love of God. That is how we're going to see it. Not because they make certain laws, not because they have certain monuments, not because they have certain policies, but because the love of God is present. How we love others will speak loudly to what we believe about God's love. And never has there been a more important moment than now, than now, to love like God. Not love the convenient, not love the same political party, not love the people who look like me, think like me, are nice to me, do what I want, say what I want, but to love as God loved. To love as God loved. I want to invite you to stand this morning. I have three questions I want to ask. Just go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Kind of focus your heart. I'm going to ask you some questions. We're just going to sit in that moment for a second. What we believe about God's love will affect how we receive his love. Let me ask you a question. Have you allowed yourself to receive the love of God this morning? What do I mean by receive? Like you open your hands and he pours it in? No. I mean, have you accepted the truth that God loves you and God cares for you? Have you accepted the truth of God's love for your life and in so doing received his love? It's here. It's present. Have you Maybe you have some biases. Maybe you have some past hurts. Maybe you have some understandings. Maybe you put qualifications on yourself. But the question today is, will you accept the truth of God's love for you? Will you accept the truth of God's love for you? If you're in that place where you have really struggled Maybe this is the first time, maybe ever, you have really struggled to accept God's love for you. You're saying, I, I've wrestled with that idea. I've wrestled with it for myself. Maybe I was confident even at one time. You know the Lord, but man, you just let some, some life that has really hurt you come in the way of really understanding. Or you made some decisions that you constantly feel shame for. So you struggle to accept the truth that God loves you. And you're saying, you know what? I need the Holy Spirit to do a work on my life and to soften my heart that I might accept the truth of God's love. Maybe for the first time, 
maybe again. That's you. All our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed. I just want to invite you. Would you just lift your hands with me? I want to pray with you. If you're saying, God, I just need to accept. I want to accept fully your love. I want to know fully your love for me. If you're online, I'm going to pray in a second, but I encourage you to click live prayer. Our team was praying with some people in first service, and I just love to see what God's doing. So just because you're online doesn't mean you don't get prayed for. We have a great team there for you. But I want to pray for you. If you're saying, I, I just need to receive that this morning, the truth of God's love for me. I struggle with that. I struggle to receive love. I struggle to allow love. But this morning, I'm just praying, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, reveal to me your love. God, I pray right now for those in this place who are saying, God, I long, I long to know your love. God, maybe this morning there's been things and lies of the enemy that have been spoken in that have caused a separation from the truth of your love. But we read in your word that it says you love us, you deeply care for us, that you are for us, not against us, that you came to die for us, that you loved us first, that is non-conditional, but that you gave it to us freely, that you sacrificed your life and you invite us into relationship. So God, right now I pray against the lies of the enemy that would try to turn us away from the truth of the word of God. And I pray that you would reign in your love in our hearts and God that those that are struggling right now with some of those past hurts or mistakes we release those in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and I pray right now you would reveal the depth and riches of your love to them second thing this morning what we believe about God's love will affect how we love others can I ask you a question every eye closed every head bowed are you showing the love of God to others if they were to look at the way you treat people, can it be traced back to God? Can it be traced to the love of God? Are you reflecting the love of Jesus Christ? That kind of servant-hearted love. What I love is that today in this moment, if you're saying, God, I long, I long to outpour, to pour out your love. I long to be loved for others. Maybe there's even people in your mind, when I was talking about washing the feet of Judas. God puts them in your, somebody in your mind. You're like, no, 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 Lord, I'm not ready for that. But I can tell you right now that all things are possible through Christ who strengthens you. And as you understand and begin to sit and, and learn and walk in the love of God, that he pours out through you by the power of the Holy Spirit and that you can love even your enemy through Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, you're saying, God, I long to be more loving. I long to pour out your love. Then I want to pray for you, but I'm just going to invite you forward, and we're going to, we're going to pray with you. There's something special about the altar space this morning. I know, I know it's scary. I know sometimes it's hard to step forward, but I believe there's a commitment. And we as a church, man, it's time. It's time to make that commitment that I will outpour the love of God. I will, I, God, I long to be loving. I long to give your love to others. Help me, lead me, strengthen me, guide me. So if that's you, I'm just going to invite you down here in just three seconds. One, if you're saying, God, I long to know your love more fully. I'm going to invite you down in just a second. Second thing is, if you're saying, God, I long to, uh, to show your love more completely. God, help me be a vessel of your love and pour me out into others. God, would you pour? I want to be marked not by all of the things, not by business success, not by my bank account, not by my looks, not by my, you know, my, my car or anything like that or anything the world would designate. But God, I want to be known by your love. Pour out through me. Help me to love more completely. If that's you, either of those things, three, I'm just going to invite you. Would you just come down? I want to pray with you this morning. And I invite you to just find a space in the altar. Altar. Our band's going to play, and we're going to just worship together in this space.